0: Welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show And today is February 21st, and we're going to look today at Exodus 2. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of God's Word, so today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 2, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas and themes and theology from that chapter, because my goal is is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get to our reading from Exodus 2 today. Exodus 2 says this. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that she he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with billmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman rocked beside the river. She took the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the woman went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, "'Why did you strike your companion?' He answered, "'Who made you a prince and judge over us? "'Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?' And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came down and drove them away. But Moses stood up and and saved them and watered their flock. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Well, this is our reading today from Exodus chapter 1. This section narrates two different points at which Moses' life was preserved as an infant, And as a young man. And so the book of Exodus intends to narrate the settings, the events, the characters in which each case as the actual events of Moses' preservation. And in the New Testament, these two events, these two particular narrative motifs are going to converge in the events of Jesus' preservation from Herod through the flight to Egypt in Matthew 2, 13 through 23. It's crucial for the first audience to know how God preserved Moses from several dangers. This story, together with the account on God's call on Moses in chapters 3 through 4 of Exodus, should enable the people of Israel to embrace Moses as God's authorized prince and judge, as well as its lawgiver. She saw that she was a fine child in verse 2, and that Hebrew is literally she saw him and that he was good. This may refer to Moses being healthy. Some have seen an echo of the creation account, which would have fit with the way the opening events in the book of Exodus act as a creation-like account for the birth of Moses as a nation. The birth of Moses it contains several words that are likely influenced or even borrowed from Egyptian, like the terms used for a basket made of bulrushes and reeds. As somebody from the population of slaves in Egypt, it took significant course for Moses' sister to presume to speak for Pharaoh's daughter in verse 7. Her move ends up bringing about a situation that surely Moses' mother could not have even imagined possible when she hit him. She has paid wages to nurse her own son in verse 9. In Hebrew, Moses' name sounds like the verb masha, to draw out. The name may also be related to the common Egyptian word for son. And since Pharaoh's daughter clearly knows that Moses is a Hebrew child in verses 6 through 9 of our chapter today, it's possible that she chose the name for both its Hebrew, to draw out of water, and Egyptian son's senses. And now, the irony of such a dual reference would be that her action not only prefigures, but is also part of the means that God uses to draw Israel as his son out of Egypt. Now, the narrator tells nothing to us about what it was like for Moses to be in Pharaoh's household. Did Pharaoh know of Moses' origin? Why did he allow one of his daughters to adopt a child at all? Did the daughter marry? Well, the attentive reader may guess at answers at all these questions, but the absence of further comment, it even shows that the narrator did not intend to supply these details. And it would seem likely that the daughter never told Pharaoh the truth about Moses' origin, but this can only be assumed since it's not stated. Now, when Moses had grown up, we see this in verse 11. In Acts 17.23, Stephen gives Moses age at this time as 40 years reflecting Jewish interpretive tradition. And even after a life preserved from affliction of slavery and privileged by what he would have received as part of Pharaoh's house, Moses identifies himself with the Hebrew slaves as his people, who made you a prince and judge over us in verse 14. The words of the Hebrew man foreshadow the repeated grumbling that Moses will encounter when he leads Israel out of Egypt in Exodus five twenty one, in Exodus fourteen eleven through twelve, in Exodus sixteen two through three, and Exodus seventeen three. Acts seven twenty seven quotes these words in verse fourteen of our chapter today, which renders them a ruler and a judge. Now, in sitting down by a well, Moses repeats the actions through which both Isaac and Abraham's servant and even Jacob interact with women who would later become their wives. Rule is later referred to as Jethro in Exodus 3.1 and Exodus 4.18 and Exodus 18.1. Both names refer to the same person, the priest of Midian in Exodus 2.16, who is Moses' father-in-law. Now, the reference to Moses as an Egyptian in verse 19, it indicates an aspect of tension in the narrative. And while Moses bore enough signs of Egyptian upbringing for Rule's daughters to assume his ethnic identity, he was also known as a Hebrew in verse 6 of our chapter and chose to identify himself with Hebrew slaves in verse 11 of our chapter. And through the events of verses 11 through 15 of our chapter today, Moses becomes alienated from both the people of his birth in verse 14 and his Egyptian household in verse 15 of our chapter. Exodus 223 through 25 function with Exodus 1, 1-7. You frame the opening section with a reminder that the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not be defined by the years of slavery, but by their covenant relationship with the God who has heard their cries and who saw and even knew their affliction and who remembers His promises. Exodus 2:23. 23, many days. Acts seven thirty takes this period mentioned in Exodus 2, as 40 years. Now, at the end of Exodus 2, Moses is a fugitive in Midian. He's hiding from Pharaoh, and the people of Israel are groaning in Egypt, crying out for deliverance from the oppressive, abusive death grip of slavery. And the chapter ends in verse 25 of Exodus 2 with these words. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. These words, God knew, are pregnant with hope. God knew. God was aware of each person's suffering. He understood what's going to happen to them and how it was going to affect them. God knew the dehumanizing degradation and the routine rapine that is part and parcel of a slave's experience. He knew the premature breakdown of bodies ruthlessly subjected daily to exhausting manual labor in Exodus 111. He knew the bitter erosion of hope that occurs when all labor only benefits ungrateful abusers in Exodus 114. God knew the horror and even the trauma of legalized and forced emphasize that is given in Exodus 116, And He knew the resentment and even the anger that is on constant simmer in a culture of helplessness, sometimes even boiling over into vengeful violence against oppressors in Exodus 2.11-12, and other times into tragic violence within the oppressed community as we see in Exodus 2.13. God knew and he was preparing to take action in a way that would leave a permanent, indelible imprint upon the collective memory of the human race. But you see, God didn't only know this when it all happened. He knew it was going to happen long before it even looked remotely possible that it could happen. Centuries after God had told Abram, later Abraham, the founder of the Israelite nation, in Genesis 15, 13-14, He says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. The, the nature and even the implication of God's foreknowledge, what he foreknows, and how this certain foreknowledge is, has been debated for millennia. Admittedly, this is deep waters for human intellects to weigh it in. But in our text, we have a direct quote from God himself on the subject here. And he says it so plainly that we should not mistake it. Know for certain that your offspring will be enslaved and will be afflicted for 400 years. This was not a qualified expert making an educated guess about the future decisions of free moral agents on the basis of probabilities. This was a clear, it was a specific, it was a certain foresight. God foreknew that the Israelites would experience desperate suffering. And his revealed foresight also clearly revealed a divine purpose in this horrible experience. A purpose whose scope extended way beyond just Israel. Well, two verses later in Genesis 15, God tells Abram, And your descendants shall come back here to Canaan in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete in Genesis 15:16, This statement about the Amorites is a multi-layered gift for the saints of God. To even unpack its implications would take us far longer than we have on this show. In it is a world of God's precise patience, justice, judgment, and more. But with regard to Israel's suffering, what we see in the Amorite allusion is a rare jewel of God's rationale for his timeline. The enslaved Israelites' prayers must have sounded much like their future royal kingsmen in Psalm thirteen one through 2 How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, we must say that God rarely provides an answer to such question. But here he provides an answer before the question was even raised. How long, O Lord? 400 years is God's answer to that. Why so long? It's because in a bloody, sweaty, tearful, agonizing experience of slavery, it would have looked like God had forgotten, but the Lord had not. He knew. He had foreknown. And he knew what he was doing because he knows the beginning from the end and everywhere in between of what is going to happen. Now, the reality in the words God knows in our chapter today, it's a, it's a well of profound comfort and peace for us in our suffering and our afflictions. And we must say there are unanswered questions. No, they do not themselves remove our pain. But in Exodus 2.25 and Genesis 15, 13-14, we see why these words are pregnant with hope. Your affliction has a purpose. You likely don't know that yet, but someday you will. And your affliction has a timeline. You likely don't know what's going to happen yet, and likely it already seems too long. But someday you're going to understand. And you will understand that the purposes for both your affliction and how long you were required to endure it is extended far beyond the range of your perception. But then it's going to make sense. Well, you see, Jesus Christ has guaranteed your exodus, and it is a far greater exodus than the mere escape from your affliction. There is coming an end to your sojourning in this foreign land, as you see in Hebrews eleven thirteen. There is a promised land far greater than Canaan, and when you reach it, no matter what you suffered in the veil of tears, you will have no regrets." God will have worked it all out for such good that you will wonder that you ever question his judgment or goodness as we see in Romans 8.28. Now, in your affliction, cry out to God for for help as we see in Exodus 2.23, the Lord hears, the Lord cares. And when the time is right, God will answer you, for God sees and he knows. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is February 21st, and we've looked at Exodus 2. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.